Hey, good morning, people. Good to see you. Man, that was some good singing. That was some great singing. I missed you last week. My wife and I and crew were down in Ohio dropping some of our kids off for Cedarville University and um, enjoyed our time but missed, missed being with you. But we're grateful uh, for Pastor Jonathan and his ministry here um, in our, in our uh, absence, and, um, but good to be back, good to see you. Hey, uh, welcome to those who are online, good to have you with us today as well. Just for a moment, whether you're online or whether you're here in person this morning, could we take a second and connect with each other? Would you grab the connection cards that are in front of you in the pew or else your online connection card, and let's take those and just make sure that we all uh, have the opportunity to say, hey, I'm here. If there's a prayer request that you have, would you fill that out, whether online or here in person? Um, there's a couple other things that you could mark on there. One is on September 27th, we are looking to do a baptism by the bay. Baptism by the bay, so long as the bay is not frozen over, by that time um, we hope to do a baptism outdoors, and if you would like to be involved in that, if you've not been baptized, um, we would invite you to mark that if you're online, I believe that there's a box to mark that, if you have a regular connection card here in the building, you may need to write that in that you're interested in baptism for that September 27th baptism by the bay. But let's mark that, send it in, and we will connect with you. A couple other things as you are filling in your connection card. September is Missions Month here at East Bay Calvary. We want to help with two special outreach projects as well as our Christmas gift for our missionaries. And this, we pray to raise $6,000 for these projects, our missions team has matching gifts up to $3,000, making it a total of $9,000 to help these two projects, as well as our Christmas gifts to our missionaries. So more info will be coming on that, but that is the month of September. And then Coastal Kids starts today in the second hour at 1030. So welcome you brave Coastal Kids workers today in this early service who will be working in the second service. Thank you for all of your efforts and work. We're excited, I know you are, to see these kiddos coming into that second hour. And let's be praying for safety and for great ministry um, at this beginning of our time together with that. So with that, if your cards are filled in, if you're online, go ahead and click submit. Or if you're here, you can just hang on to that. After the service, we'll put those in the giving boxes as we go out the back door at the end of our service. So grab your copy of the scriptures and turn to Hebrews chapter 5. It's toward the end of your Bible. Or if you're online, just type in Hebrews 5. I'm reading from the NIV. So if you Google it, you type in Hebrews 5 NIV and um, we're going to be in verses 11 through 14 today, and that'll make maybe your search a little bit easier as you look that up online. And here's the title of our sermon, and in fact, it's the emphasis of the writer of Hebrews, and this is what it is. So get ready. This is the whole thing in one phrase. This is what the title of Hebrews 
5, 11 to 14 is, it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. Say it with me, would you? It's time. I know you've said it to your kids. I know that you've probably had it said to you when you were younger. It's time to grow up. Now, the writer of Hebrews is not gentle with us today. I just want to be open with you. He's not gentle with us today. You know, there are some passages of the Bible that are soft and kind reminders. There are some passages of the Bible that pull us in close and maybe give us a little talking to. Today's passage is neither of those. Today's passage is more like a, I'm telling you, it is more like a cowboy kick to the rear end is what it is. It is, it's more like where the writer of Hebrews seems a little bit frustrated, and he grabs you by the earlobe, kind of like what your grandma did, and he, he pulls you down low, and with no cushy words, he says this phrase, it is time to grow up, is what he says. I remember um, the very first home that my wife and I purchased was a little ranch home in Norwich, New York, on Gibbon Road, 199 Gibbon Road. And, um, and when you went through the kitchen, you came to the door that would go down to the basement. And if you opened up that door and you stood on the first step, it was the step that the previous owners would mark the growth levels of all of their family. And so they would stand there on that first step with their back up against the wall and, and you could see, in fact, we, we, we would note, and it was kind of cute, they would note all the kids going all the way up, and then there was mom, and then there was a guy named Fat Poppy, and they, they measured him this way, is what, just, I, just kidding, but um, it was really neat to see the growth level of all of the family, in fact, my wife and I, we just couldn't come, when we painted the basement, we just couldn't come to paint over it. It was kind of cute because um, partway into our ownership of the home, the doorbell rang, and it was Mr. and Mrs. Cabrera, the previous owners, and they asked if they could come in, and they came through the upstairs of the house, and they were marveling at, at what we had done. Oh, this is so pretty. Oh, we love what you did, and when they opened up the door to the basement, they just about fell into tears when they saw that we painted the entire basement and we came to that little growth chart and we actually painted around it. And it just melted their hearts. Because growth means something. Sometimes growing up means hearing tough words. We've had those words spoken to us. When someone just looks you right in the eye and says, it's time to grow up. And, and I had that when I was a freshman in college. I, I had one week, I had so many finals and assignments in many different classes. And so I went to my professor of the one class that I did not like. It was fine arts class. And I went to him. It was Dr. Carter. He was a staunch older professor. And, and I thought, you know what, this is the one I didn't want to really do the assignment. Maybe he could give me some leeway. And I went to Dr. Carter and I said, Dr. Carter, I have so many assignments due and so many finals due this week. Could you give me an extension on my assignment here in fine arts? 
And I'll never forget what Dr. Carter said. He looked me in the eye and he said, Brian, did you read the sign at the, at the entrance of this institution when you drove in? It's spelled C-O-L-L-E-G-E. And then he said, it's about time you grew up. I have a humorous side. I don't know if you knew it or not. I had to fight it back. I almost said, but didn't get the nerve, you'll be hearing from my mother. (laughs) But he was right. Sometimes you hear some tough things. It's time to grow up. So after showing how Jesus is superior to Moses... And how Jesus is the great high priest, the writer of Hebrews, he wants to take him farther. But he can't. And so verses 11 of chapter 5 through chapter 6, verse 12, share a frustration and a parenthetical instruction that the writer gives them before going back to his discussion on Melchizedek. And here we are, chapter 5, 11 to 14. Let me read it for you, these verses, and you're going to sense what the writer is getting at with this instruction. It's time to grow up. And here's what he says. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. And anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So the writer wanted to continue on with his discussion, but here's the problem. The problem wasn't with the message. He said, I got a great message for you, but the problem isn't with the message. The problem isn't with their age. He's like, boy, I wish you were older. Then I could tell you about this. The problem isn't with their age. The problem isn't that they haven't been believers long enough. He's not saying, boy, I wish you were long-term believers. Then I could explain it. The problem is with them. The problem is with the readers. And it was that, despite the fact that they were believers for a while that they knew a number of things, they just were not growing up. In fact, they were actually losing ground. They were reverting back to immaturity. And and so here's the question that we ask all of us today. Are we growing? How do you know if you're growing? 
How can you measure maturity if you were to stand on the top step of the basement of the Gibbon Road home and measure your spiritual maturity level? How do you know, are you really growing? Or are you reverting? And I know that oftentimes in our day, maturity could be measured by how long you're a believer. Or if you have an educational degree in Scripture, or if you know a lot of Scripture, or if you attend all the church's programs. Maturity can be viewed a number of different ways. But it's interesting, when we get into this passage, the writer of Hebrews lays out three very simple measurable ways to gauge if we are growing. So here we go. Three measures of genuine spiritual maturity. And in case you're wondering, there are ways you can download these online. If you are online right now, you can look on our website. You can find these notes. You can even print these notes out ahead of time and bring them with you if you, if you come on campus. But here's three measures of genuine spiritual maturity. Number one... Passion to engage with God's word. Passion to engage with God's word. Now, I'm going to tell you this may be different than what you're thinking. But there's a passion to engage with God's word. Look at verse 11 because he says, we have much to say about this. But it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand you no longer try to understand i just want to unfold this a little bit for us because this is not he's not talking about a natural state like i don't think you can comprehend it cognitively he's not talking that maybe they have a a disorder or a challenge with their ability to understand it's not like as if there's a learning disorder and he's not saying you know i don't think you're maybe smart enough to understand. He's not talking about anything like that. And he's not even saying you're not hearing it. So just think about this. He's not saying you're not, you're not coming to the service or you're not hearing the word of God and therefore you're not getting it. He's saying you're not trying to understand. There's two different words that really help us understand where he's going with this the first one is they no longer try they used to be sharp there was a point in time where they were catching on like there was a real engagement with the word of god however they were reverting back to and here's the word mentions they have become dull so they were sharp there was a point where they were into god's word and now they have become dull and hear the word dull would you take a moment and look over at chapter 6 verse 12 just look at chapter 6 verse 12 because here's the identical word as dull in the original language it says we do not want you to become i'm not sure what your translation says right there what does your translation says yeah, so there's a number of different translations. There's slothful or lazy. 
We do not want you to become lazy. It's the same word used in verse 11. So you have become, he mentions, lazy or sluggish or slothful or slow in your understanding. It wasn't that they weren't hearing God's word. They showed up to church. They, they would be right here. They would be online watching. But their mind wasn't sharp. Okay, They weren't focused. They weren't connecting their passion wasn't peaked when god's word was opened up they weren't like on the edge of their seat like i've got to hear this their motivation wasn't up their heart wasn't tuned it was basically in one ear out the other so i was thinking about this if these people were believers today They could sit through a whole message and they could walk out and not really think about what they just heard. Like they could get home and say, what was that about again? If they were believers today, they wouldn't be picking up their Bible during the week. Like it would be Sunday that they would come in and they'd say, now what was that about again? And then they would leave and, and they wouldn't be picking it up during the week. Like it, it really wouldn't connect with them. It really wouldn't matter to them. Or if they did, it would be like, I've got to check this off because I know I'm going to be guilty or someone's going to ask me. So quick read it. Okay, good. I have no idea what it said. But at least I checked it off. So if someone asked me, yes, I read my devotions today. Or if they were believers today, they could pull out their phone and it would say, your screen time is up 13% to 4 hours and 27 minutes a day. However, we realize our Bible time is down to zero minutes. And our connectivity with it is down. We would probably keep up with their Facebook friends. They would keep up with their Instagram posts, with their TV shows, with their favorite hobby, with their text messages to their buds. But when it came to understanding, engaging, internalizing, enjoying, mulling over truths from God's word, they would just go through the motion, their passion, their heart, their intensity would not be in the word of God. And he's saying, you know, there's so much more that I would want to tell you. There's so much more I would love to give to you, but I just, I don't think you're into it. I don't think you're engaged. And maturity, he's saying, is you're passionate about this. You're engaged in it. You're embracing in it. You care about it because, and here's a phrase for us to, to, to think about, because information you don't care about will never change your life. Information you don't care about will never change your life. 
And this is the first measure of maturity. He mentions that we're growing up. And the Bible is just chock full of verses that talk about it. Jesus mentioned, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. The psalmist says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight. And in his law, he meditates day and night. And then the psalmist, speaking of God's word, says, that God's word is more precious than gold, than much pure gold, sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, and keeping of them there is great reward. And so he says, you know, if you're to stand on that step, and if you want to measure your growth chart, you Hebrew believers, he's mentioning, he says, you know what? The first measure of maturity is man. I'm engaged, like, I'm in, I'm clicking. When God's word speaks, whoop, I'm on it. This matters to me, I care, I want it to change my life. And I'm in it not just on Sunday, I'm in it during the week because I know I need this every day. Are we talking together? This, this makes sense. Obviously, maturity is growth. And in order to grow, we need to be in God's word and genuinely taking it in, not just around it. Here's number two. This one's a little more of a boot to the rear end. The first one is passion to engage in God's word. The second one is a big deal. Now, before we get into it, it'd be interesting to take a little poll here in the room, and I can't see who's online right now. How many have been, um, how many have been believers at least five years in the room? At least five years. Wow, quite a bunch. Ten. Twenty. Wow, hands still up. 30. Some of you aren't even 30, so you're kind of out. 40. 50. Here's a brownie point. Some of you don't even look 50. 60. That's just awesome. God bless you. That's fantastic. You could put your hand down because we're going to give away your age if we keep going. Notice verse 12. Verse 12, he goes on, continuing on with this. Not only did they struggle embracing God's word, connecting with it, he says, in fact, verse 12, though by this time, you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. So here's the second measure of developing spiritual maturity 
Not only is there passion to engage in God's word, but this is a real measure. It's investing in discipling others. Investing in discipling others. Now it starts out with this phrase, by this time. Now, given that, you know, there is a time frame when every believer needs help. People need to pour into them. There's younger believers that need people to come alongside of them. You know, when they're getting out of infancy and when they're developing, and the writer here is saying, yeah, I'll grant that, but you know what, and... and, Here comes the kick to the seat of the pants. He tells them straight up. You're past that time. Like that time is long gone. By this time, he's saying, you ought to be teaching someone else. And I have no idea how long these people had been invested in the Christian faith. I I have no idea here in Hebrews. But all I know is the writer has diagnosed, however long it is, it's plenty long enough for them to be investing in the lives of other people rather than insisting that people be teaching them and pouring into them and especially investing into them the elementary or the beginning understandings of the Christian faith. Now, just a couple things. Some people are going to say, you know what? I am not a good teacher. Like, I'm not a public speaker. Pastor, I could never get up front and do what you're doing. You know? He's not talking about public speaking here. This is a, a general passage here this is a general letter it's not written just to pastors and teachers it's written to all believers and he's talking about the great commission he's talking about discipling people he's saying we're all disciple makers this is our major our major is to Make disciples of all nations. In fact, he's mentioning, here's what we should be doing. It should be our intention to be focused on making disciples of other people like Jesus commanded in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Here's the verses. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So he's not talking about, by now you should be teaching, you should be making syllabus, you know, you should be coming up with lesson plans, you should be coming up with curriculum. He's not just talking to pastors and teachers. This is a letter written to every one of us, Every one of you online, this is a general letter to every believer. Like if you've been around the Christian faith a long time, if you've been around here long enough, he's saying we all should be investing in the lives of others instead of just wanting people 
to invest in us. It's a sign of maturity. Now, I warned you up front, the writer of Hebrews was going to be a little direct today. Imagine the education major in college. And all they do is keep going to college. And they never teach anyone. Imagine they were in college for 30 years and you asked them, what's your major? And they said, elementary education. And that's nice. You've been in college for 30 years? Yes. Are you going to teach anyone? I mean, the assumption is you're taking this because you're going to impact someone with what you're learning. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. We're taking this because we are going to impact someone with what we're taking in. And here's the phrase that I want to give to us that we, that we need to embrace here this morning. This is the next step on the growth chart, investing and helping someone else. And this is the phrase, think about this, what God does for you shouldn't end with you. What God does for you shouldn't end with you. God didn't do it that way we just take it and sit on it and say, you know what, I want more. I want more of that. He does it for us so that way we can turn around and give to others. That is our major as believers. That is the growth cycle. And I know it's intimidating. I know some people are saying, Pastor, this is way out of my comfort zone. And I, could, I wish I could tell you a story I've mentioned in the past. This is way out of my comfort zone. I want to tell you, discipling starts with one word. You ready? Discipling starts with one word, and here's that word. I'm going to give it to you. If you, if you need to, you can write it down, but I think you'll remember it. Here's the word it starts with. Hello. Hi. Discipling starts with that. Hi. My name is Brian. What's your name? That's how discipling starts. You want to have coffee? Let's talk sometime. And you just need to be one step in front of them in order to be able to help them take that next step. And our Church of America has made a measure of maturity only if you're being taught. The writer of Hebrews says the measure of maturity is if you are teaching someone else. There's a passion to engage in God's word. There's investing and discipling others. I told you, this guy was really letting her rip today. And then his third thought in it being time to grow up is he says, you know, another measure of spiritual maturity is a personal, active, spiritual workout. A personal, active, spiritual 
work out. And I know you're wondering, what in the world is all of that? Well, I'm going to tell you here, it's really fascinating what he gets into in these verses. Personal, active, spiritual workout, because there's a few words here that there are some assumptions of what they mean. Number one, what is milk? You see that in here? There's milk and there's solid food. There's milk and solid food. So verse 12, he mentions, you know, you should be teachers, but you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. And then he says, you need milk, not solid food. So milk is equated with two understandings. Let me give them to you really quick. Two understandings. Number one, it is equated with, first of all, dependency because you need someone to teach you it's equated with dependency and infancy is equated with dependency so someone needs to pour into you someone needs to help you and that's the issue of this stage that they are in you are in a dependent stage where someone needs to help you and then milk is also equated with the elementary teachings or literally the ABCs or what they came into Christianity understanding. So it's what they learned at the beginning and it was the reality that they were dependent upon others. They were not growing to a level where they were learning and understanding on their own. They were still very much dependent and they were always stuck at the beginning. They were never progressing beyond that point. Now here's the big question. What is solid food? What is solid food? Now I grew up in the day when people said, you know, solid food are the complex, hard to understand things about God. That is what solid food is. And the one who understands the more complex information about the Bible is therefore a more mature believer. And so, if you understand things like, like we all do, like traducianism and superlapsarianism and the difference between federal and seminal headship and consubstantiation, transubstantiation, that makes you more mature. Notice what he says in here. There's a few phrases that really amplify what he's talking about. Anyone, verse 13, who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted. Some translations say skilled with the teaching about righteousness. First clue to solid food. It's different than milk because those who are on milk or still an infant, they are not skilled, they are not practiced, they are not maintaining a level or regimen with teaching about righteousness. So solid food has something to do with two things, skill or personal responsibility. Notice different than dependence. Milk is dependence. 
Solid food is personal responsibility. Milk is what was learned at the beginning. Solid food is teaching about righteousness, verse 13. Notice verse 14. Solid food is for the mature. Who by, and here's our two other words, constant use. Constant use. A regular routine. Personal use. And I love this last one, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. There's the parallel back to teaching about righteousness, distinguish good from evil. And so milk is dependency and it is learned from the beginning. Solid food, it is taking personal responsibility and it is taking the Bible and applying it to my everyday life. It's where the Bible changes my life. It's where I live out the teachings about righteousness. It's where I understand God's will and design for every day of my life. And I like to put it this way. The weights are his word and the gym is our world. The weights are his word. The gym is our world. Some people think that the gym is the church. We work out there because he mentions it is constant and we train ourselves in everyday life. Like, think about this. The gym is your marriage. The weights are the word. The gym is your marriage. Just think about that one. Like, it doesn't matter if you've got all this head stuffing of understanding about traducianism. But husbands, if you don't treat your wife right, not only is God not happy, I would suggest you sleep with one eye open. Your gym is your marriage. Learning how to take God's word and apply it to your marriage, that's maturity. Your gym is your workplace. How do I apply God's word in my workplace or with my children or with my neighbors or with my, here's a toughie, with my Facebook posts? With my thought life, how do I apply God's word with my computer habits when no one's around? That's my gym. That's my sign of maturity, real maturity. It's with my speech regarding my jokes or cursing or gossip. It's day by day taking the word of God and being serious serious about working out in the gym of life through this constant use, having the maturing muscle to look more and more and more like Jesus. And here's the deal. Our day is so big on fads and gimmicks, you know, quick diets, quick results, quick abs, quick everything. You know, if our marriage is hurting, we long for the romantic moment that sweeps us off our feet and brings us back. Or 
if we feel distant from God, we want the spiritual whoosh. You know, where's the one song or the one message, and it's all back, it's all perfect, everything's all set. It all changes in an instant. You know, but when we hear words like this, constant use, and when we hear words like training themselves, we're struck with the understanding that spiritual maturity, like true spiritual maturity, like lasting spiritual maturity, sustainable spiritual maturity, it just doesn't come from an isolated event nor a great spiritual burst. It may start there, but it doesn't last there. It comes from a steady, regular application from spiritual food from God's word. And so the writer of Hebrews says, man, I'd love to tell you more. I'd love to. But we've got to grow up, he says. We've got to grow up. I'm sure if he were pastoring today, he would say, man, sometimes I stand in front of the pulpit and I just feel like I say stuff. And do people hear? You know, or people attend a class, but are they willing to teach and disciple someone? Or they know God's word, but can they apply it? Like that's where the rubber meets the road. That's real maturity. So the writer says it's time to grow up. Well, the original recipients aren't here today. We are. God's word rings true. And I'll just be honest. We all need to hear it. Amen? Amen. I need to hear it. We all need to hear it. Church of America needs to hear it today. No more saying we're mature because we've been a Christian a long time. It's baloney. Or because I know a lot, therefore I'm mature. I'm not buying it. Or I go to all the services, therefore I'm mature. And that's not it. Like, do I engage with it? Am I investing in others? Am I really living it? It's where the rubber meets the road. That's when we're growing up. It's passion, it's production, and it's personal responsibility. So I just want to finish with this. To grow, to grow, you must first have life. True? There's, things don't grow unless they're living. You with me on that? Life starts with Jesus. That's where it all begins. And he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. It's where it all begins. 
So I encourage you as far as beginning, if you're like, man, I'd love to grow, well, you know what? You're not gonna get the muster in yourself like, I can do it all on my own. Not happening. It starts with Jesus Christ in your life where we rely on him. And so if you are not with Jesus Christ, that's where it begins, to believe that he died on the cross for your sin, to embrace him as your forgiver, to leave your life of sin and of self-governance and to give yourself to him. That's where growth begins, is with life with Jesus. Life with Jesus. And that's where all of our growth begins. Not with self-grit and gut, but through Jesus Christ. It's reached to him. Claim the reality that he is within us, that he's taken that heart of stone and turned it into a heart of flesh. And by his spirit to change us. And grab a hold of even some people around me and say, would you help me? I need to grow up. I've been a Christian forever. And these are three great measure marks to see. Am I really growing up? Would you stand with me? Use these measure marks in your life. Evaluate your life. Don't do it on your own. But have Jesus as the center. And Father, thank you for measurable, understandable, truthfully exciting growth marks that we can know that that life is happening and that we're sprouting and that we're being the people that you want us to be help us lord grow us from the inside may your spirit take that new life from jesus and Make something in us that we could never be on our own. God, I pray that you would spark this life into a flame of passion. Whenever we hear God's word, our ears just perk. Our heart lights. And may we not sit and take in, but God, help us to invest. And help us to live this. To really live it every day. To train in godliness. Thank you for our time this morning. It's been good to be together. And all of East Bay Calvary said, Amen. Hey, so good to see you. God bless you for being here. Be praying for our coastal kids this second hour. Remember, we'll need to mask up on your way out, but feel free to linger and enjoy each other out there. Good to see you. God bless.